What are we doing? What are these microphones? Who are you? <laughs> Do you want to record an episode with me right now? An episode of what? An episode of Modern Dadhood. An ongoing conversation about the joys, joys. Challenges, challenges, and general insanity general of insanity. being a dad in this moment. My name is Adam Flaherty. I am a... I forgot what comes after that. My name <laughs> is Adam Flaherty. I'm a dad <laughs> of two daughters uh, who are eight years old and five years old. And you? And I, and my name's Mark, full name, Mark Andrew Checkett. Mark uh, Andrew. Yeah. And uh, I'm a dad to twin boy four-year-olds. Boom. And I am tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I don't mind admitting that some days I just feel like defeated. I feel like they won. Totally. You know? Totally. You feel like the, the children just controlled much of the day, and I didn't really get a chance to do my job as dad. <laughs> I love my girls so much, but I've used the phrase, I can't, more, <laughs> m- more often in the last six months than in my entire life, because wow, they'll yeah. get bickering over like nothing at all and it'll just spiral out of control and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And I just have to step back and say, I can't, I just can't deal with this right now. I cannot process what's happening. Sometimes you absolutely need to just step away. Mm -hmm. You know what? I can't going out in the front porch. I need fresh air. I'll deal with all of this, all of this will No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I reach into that breast pocket and I pull out a nice tall palm hall. I love that it's become a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah. It's now a recurring theme. Do you find yourself saying, uh, some of those like trope parenthood lines? I'll give you an example to just tonight. Um, I looked at one of my kids and whatever it was they said prompted me to say, do I look like your mother? <laughs> Cause they were, they were, they were at, they were saying something that they, that mom said to them. And now they were yelling at me because, but I wasn't a part of the conversation that mm. she had with them. And now, but I'm getting yelled at by a four-year-old over it. And I just responded with, do, do I look like your mother? Yeah. And it was like such like a snarky TV dad thing to say. It, what was the response? I don't know. I went out for a cigarette after that. <laughs> perfect well today's guest is someone who's been on our podcast i don't know would you call it a podcast bucket list sure he's been on our list since the beginning and i am extremely excited to chat with michael ian black very much same he's really been i want to say that you threw out his name like way back He's he's done a lot of writing and speaking in the fatherhood space or genre. And I've just been a fan of his for a long time, his comedy and his acting. So it just seemed natural. And you know what? What? Now he's joining us. You mean right now? Uh, Shortly. Oh, geez, Louise. Stay tuned. Stay. Stick around. Whew, okay. I'll get myself ready. 
Mark. Mark. That Mark. Check Mark. It. Yeah. Me. Yeah. 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 Yes. I'm, I'm here. I feel like we've been taking on some heavier themes lately. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't know. I don't think it was by design. I think some of these topics have presented themselves almost. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree. And I don't feel like when I say, you know, heavier topics, it's not necessarily always dark topics, just more thought provoking fatherhood themes. The type of stuff that you 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 want to talk about, but sometimes find it hard to begin even talking about. Oh, yeah. How do you get into some of these these topics? There's they're expansive. And well, I mean, I would love to think that this podcast could be sort of an entryway for dads and moms listening to, to have these conversations with, you know, among themselves, but, you know, also with their kids. I will say one of the really great things that has come out of hosting this podcast with you is that it has given us access to some really incredible thought leaders, mm-hmm. which make it easier to have the conversations. You know, they kind of give us the the language and the tools to be able to have the conversations and really understand the topics and themes on a deeper level. I think also the show has, in some cases, opened the door to, there's been several occasions where because of the show, I've learned about a, an author, you know, or I've right. learned about a particular book that maybe I otherwise might not have heard of, but have since read and been blown away by. That's sort of a a theme that has run through the history of our podcast is you know, a lot of times one conversation leads to another guest on a yeah. different topic. Things sort of fall into place, you know, and the topics yeah. present themselves at the right time and, and the guests, you know, just kind of fall in. And it, it's I, I'm really enjoying it. Curiously, only one astronaut, though. Like, how come not more people who have been to space, you know? Right. Like, when is Buzz Aldrin going to email you? Yeah. What's what's the holdup, I guess? Is oh, he- too busy flying <laughs> around in rockets? Oh. This has gone off the rails. <laughs> Damn it. But yeah, and I mean, and speaking of books that are destined to become permanent fixtures of my collection, um, Michael Ian Black's book, from now at this point, it's a couple of years old. It was released September 15th, 2020. It was published. You and I both recently read it. And um, I think it's called A Better Man for the record. And you can buy it wherever you. you buy books, local bookstore, Amazon, Powell's. You can also listen to Michael himself narrate it if you go to audible.com. Highly recommend this book. It's it's absolutely wonderful. And I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of the topics in, in our conversation with Michael in a minute. Well, I see him in the waiting room. Why don't we let him in? Let's not be rude. Michael Ian Black is many things. He's a comedian, actor, writer, director, fellow podcaster. He's a husband and a father of two kids, Elijah and Ruthie. He's handsome. He's he's very handsome. <laughs> he is stunningly handsome. Very famous also. Incredibly famous. I've heard. Owns yeah. an air fryer. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Michael's someone who who I've been a fan of for a long time. And Michael, to have you on our podcast here to talk about being dads is a real treat. So thank you for making time to join us. Well, thank you, Adam. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me. A delight to be here. And uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I got I got the air fryer. I mean, I didn't use it today, but it's been it's been in heavy rotation for the last couple of weeks in my house. It's actually in the house. I feel like an air fryer is one of those things that you get, but somehow ends up kind of in the basement or maybe in the garage. You know? No, no, no. It has a place of prominence right now in my kitchen, where it is being used almost on the daily to make uh, primarily uh, uh, chicken breasts. I've been eating a lot of chicken breasts. A few years ago, it was the pressure cooker, right? And then the next year was the air fryer was the thing that everybody was buying. What's 2022's thing? I hope we're just going to go back to classics, waffle maker. <sighs> I hope we're just going to get right right on back to the waffle maker, which is just what a great invention that is. Holy cow. You end up with a waffle at the end. of it. <laughs> this is true. I like the ones that you close, but you can flip. You know, it, while it's oh, closed, I don't know you can rotate it in the little mechanism. It's really, oh, it's, I, you find them at Hampton Inns all over. Okay. I don't know if Hampton Inn is still a thing or not, but. They used I mean, to I be. don't normally slum it at hotels <laughs> of that level, but hotels I go to, like, it's definitely not a make your own waffle situation. I mean, there's, there's teams of people doing <laughs> yeah. nothing but making waffles Just for you. serving up Michael's waffles. So, Michael, the first time that I remember seeing your work and really following your career, probably not one of your most famous roles. It, I think it falls somewhere in between the state and when Stella got picked up by uh, Comedy Central. Do you care to wager a guess based on that time period, a network uh, a TV show? Or oh, Ed, that TV show? Nope. Spy TV, that TV no. show? You've done a lot. Then I don't know. The character was... Uh, if it's in that time period. The character was Johnny Blue Jeans. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah Viva the show, Variety. The show is Viva Variety. And I don't, I don't... That's how I got into you. And it's been like such a joy sort of following your career since then. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, Viva Variety was a, uh, was a, a fake European variety show that we did on Comedy Central for oh, three, four years, something like that. And I played Johnny Blue Jeans, who was uh, the sidekick on the show. Okay, so thank you again for coming for coming on to Modern Dadhood to talk about dad stuff with us. Mm -hmm. We're both huge fans of your book, A Better Man, which if our listeners aren't familiar, it's uh, it's an open letter that you wrote to your son, Elijah, um, who at the time was preparing to go to college. Yes. But before we really get into it, I, we just wanted to ask, you know, it's been a couple of years since the release. There's been a whole global pandemic. I'm not sure if you're if you're aware of that. Um, yeah, yeah. I've heard oh, yeah, the, 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 COVID, the COVID one. Right? Yes. That's OK. One. You know about it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I pay attention to the news. You got to. It's big. It's a big thing. How are things going with you, your family? How are things going for Elijah and, and of course, Ruthie as well? Uh, everybody's fine. We've, we've come through it fairly unscathed. Uh, and so we've had a fairly smooth run of it health wise. Uh, and then I think we have endured it psychologically, probably the same as many other people, which is maybe not as smoothly, but, um, it definitely precipitated changes in our lives. For example, hmm. I now live in Georgia. Hmm. Whereas pre-pandemic, I lived in Connecticut, and uh, those are related. I mean, showbiz shut down, and very quickly I realized, oh, I can no longer afford my house. And then concurrent with that, the market where I was just went bananas. And so uh, we sold our house and moved to Georgia, and here we are living in Savannah. It's crazy. When you wrote A Better Man, obviously you had two kids in the house living with you. Having Two kids who are now out of the house. I wonder sort of how your um, maybe how your identity as a father has kind of 
changed since your kids have become old enough to move out of the house and live on their own? Well, it's a gradual process. I mean, it doesn't happen all at once. You, uh, you know, how, how old are your kids? I have two daughters who are eight and five. Mark's two twin okay. boys are four years old. Okay. So life has kind of figured this out in a really good way where, you know, and and, you, and I'm sure you're aware of this in theory, if not in actual practice, but by the time they get to like 15, 16 years old, like they are sort of moving away from you anyway, um, even if they are not physically separated from you. And, and by the time they actually leave, you kind of want them to leave because they're terrible. <laughs> and you're sort of like, yeah, I think it's, I think you need to go. And they go. And then, and then you sort of sit with that for a moment and you're like, well, wait a minute. First one kid went and then the other kid went and now it's just me and you. How are we? And then it, it turns out you're terrific. It turns out you haven't been better in years. <laughs> you don't have to think about, well, wait, wait, what, what, what's, uh, what's the, what are they going to eat for dinner? You know, uh, did you do your homework? You're not yelling at them about that. You know, it's just, it's great. Being an empty nester is terrific. Mm. You should try it. You should. I mean, I know your kids are young, but maybe try it now. We can kick them out along yeah. faster. Yeah. Send them off to it's, summer camp. It's, it's so hard to think about. I mean, obviously, for obvious reasons, it's hard to place myself in your shoes, right? I mean, they, my kids are only four years old, but, but you're yeah. right. At the beginning of the process, it's such a gradual thing. And I mean, I'm obviously still growing and changing and adapting like sometimes by the minute is what it feels like. And, and of course it, it makes sense that that would sort of happen on the other end of it as well. But, but yeah, man. that being said, like, you know, you start to develop a relationship with your kids or I have anyway, you know, in the middle of, I, it just, it, again, it happens gradually where you're sort of like, you go from being, you know, the guy who's telling them what to do, the guy who's in charge to the guy who's like, you, you know, you probably know a little bit more about this than I do <laughs> to the guy who's just like, we're just now we're, it, it feels like in a weird way, this is, this is not quite the right word. We're not friends. We're not peers, mm. but like the relationship is more of an adult relationship now. Hmm. And they're still young. I mean, you know, my, you know, I, my son is about to turn 21. My daughter is 18, but you definitely, you know, I can, I can sort of sense like what an adult relationship with them will be like. Do you worry about them less? Constantly. No, no, no. Hmm. You don't stop worrying about them. And, and that's what everybody, you know, I, I, I guess I sort of expected that. I mean, I expected to not stop hmm. worrying about them. But at the same time, I try to remember what it was like for me when I was their age and knowing that my mom was probably worried sick about me living in New York City, um, you know, and, and wanting to be an actor of all things um, and remembering that I felt fine. Mm. Like, you know, I had my own shit that I was dealing with, but like, I wasn't worried about me in the way that I'm sure my mother was worried about me. And so I try to remember that my kids probably aren't worried about themselves in the way that we constantly worry about them. They're probably fine. So I don't want to use our time together to just summarize your book, um, because I would love for parents listening to actually go read it or, or listen to it. Yeah. But uh, one of the, the themes that really struck me was something that came up more than once in the book. And it's this notion of being authentic to yourself. And when I 
first got into your comedy, like I mentioned, Viva Variety. Um, but you know, it was, it was your stand up. It was, uh, the state and Stella. I, I was drawn to you because I think I could relate to your style of humor. Um, you were, you know, obviously very dry and sarcastic. Um, in the book, you use the, this phrase, ironic detachment and, and for me, I, I identified with that because I feel like my whole life people have said to me, like, I, I can't tell if you're being sincere or not. I can't tell if you're being serious or if you're fucking with me. And it never. Do you, do you always know when you're being sincere? I do. But mm-hmm. in fairness to them, sometimes I am like fucking with people. Of and I've course. always kind of like enjoyed that. I don't know. It's the mystery of that. And I've been drawn to to um, artists who evoke that to musicians who kind of work that into their music, this sort of tongue in cheek thing. But when I became a dad is I think when it started sort of bothering me Mm -hmm. when I would deliver somebody a compliment or or say something genuine or offer congratulations. And somebody would say, I I, I can't tell if you're being serious with me. (laughs) And, and, And I think it's because I never want my daughters to I never want to say something to my daughters, give them encouragement, tell them they um, did a great job with something and have them say that back to me. I never want there to be a doubt <laughs> that I'm being sincere with them. You, you did a great job, honey. Wait, are you fucking with are me? Are you fucking with me right now? Exactly. Exactly. You have this great quote in the book. You say, for me to be the kind of dad I wanted to be required a set of skills at odds with the sardonic persona that had served me well for so long. And then you say that guy didn't give a shit. This guy did. So I wonder if maybe you could talk about this shift that happened within you when you became a dad. Well, I think it's kind of exactly what you said. You know, kids, young children are famously not very good at understanding sarcasm. (laughs) Some of them are just just terrible at it. (laughs) They just don't get irony at all. Mm -hmm. And you sort of feel like you, I felt like I couldn't continue being that ironically detached person and, and be the kind of dad I wanted to be because, because it wasn't like I could just turn that on and off on stage. Um, I didn't have that skill set. Like it was hard for me to uninhabit that character. And so I realized that I was going to have to do that. I realized I was going to have to take off that uniform that necessitated learning how to be more vulnerable and, and, and learning how to open up my heart a little bit more than I'd been willing to do before just to accommodate the kind of dad I wanted to be. And, and it hasn't always been easy. I haven't always succeeded. Um, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. And so in doing that, I felt like I also had to sort of change who I was professionally Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. And that was, I think that was good for me. I know that was good for me, at least as a human. Uh, I don't know that it was particularly remuneratively good for me. (laughs) I was going to ask, like, I know that the, obviously the pandemic has hurt actors in any, any sort of touring professional and and actors, obviously in a big way, but did that shift in your private set of values that then extended to your onstage persona hurt your career? It did. I think so. Uh, in some ways, in some ways, when my son was born, 
I was getting, I was fairly well known for these, I love the seventies, eighties, nineties shows on VH1 that they ran, just ran into the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, I started doing stand up around that time, uh, in a, in a more developed and serious way. And the character that I, for lack of a better word, that I was doing on those shows was exactly that kind of ironically detached person who just was like, you know, shitting on everybody's childhood (laughs) Um, and and loving doing that. Mm -hmm. But that was exactly the kind of character that I felt like I needed to crack open to, to learn how to be a dad. And so where it might've been easy to sort of pigeonhole me as that thing, as my standup developed and changed and evolved in, a, in, in conjunction with being a dad and as my writing style changed and evolved, like, I, you know, it, I, I, I wasn't capable of doing that anymore hmm. to the same extent. And, and I, I think that might've hurt me. Hmm. Just, I mean, when you say crack open that character a little bit, what do you mean by that? The instinct to always go for, the sardonic moment, the sarcastic moment, the totally dry moment. Mm. Those are all really valuable tools for a comedian and tools that I think I still have. Mm. But what I wasn't able to do was be earnest, be vulnerable, um, Mm. be sincere. Had, you know, that thing I wasn't able, I I had that same thing, Adam, where somebody's going, I don't know if you're being serious Mm. or not. I don't. And I mean, that's been with me my whole life. And I wanted people to know if I was being serious or not, you know, and, and so it, it required opening up my toolbox and sharpening up tools that maybe were kind of dull. Yeah. And then getting the chisel and cracking open the character. I had to, <laughs> I had to, get I had there. to get the metaphor to work somehow. Mm-hmm. It worked. So it, I used, I got the chisel and then it, I cracked. Yeah, it was a, I saw it. I saw the wheels turning and the journey was. Thanks. Un- well, I'm a professional writer, so. It's clear. It's clear. Um, yep. All right. So speaking of writing, uh, we do want to talk about a lot of what you get at in the book and mm-hmm. a theme that you uh, explore a bunch in the book is toxic masculinity. And the way that you approach the term itself is, and it's kind of the way that I feel also about the term. In fact, there's just, there's so many instances over, over and over and over again in that book where I'm reading it and you say something and I go, damn it. That's, that's the thing that I've not been able to express in words before. That's, that's how I feel about that too. That's, that's, you know, I've never been able to find the, the way to express it. And that just happened over and over and over in that book. But back to the toxic masculinity thing, I just wonder if we can maybe get into that conversation, but by first, you sharing a little bit, maybe why you feel like that phrase is, is flawed. I don't use the term. And the reason I don't is because I feel like, unfortunately, we as a culture don't have a sense of what healthy masculinity is. We don't, Mm. we don't even have a sense of what masculinity is. We don't know what it is. We don't have a good definition for it. And consequently, that unfortunate adjective toxic affixes itself so readily to masculinity because we don't have a kind of healthy masculinity to contrast it with. Mm. And so the two words 
in, in, in some cases have become synonymous. I don't want masculinity in general to be thought of toxic because I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can say the behaviors and, and mannerisms of an entire gender of people are inherently toxic. I, I don't think they are. And I'm not saying that there is one set of behaviors and mannerisms. I mean, you know, it's, it's such a loaded thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, but in the sort of most general sense of masculinity, unfortunately, because we don't know what it is, we can't describe readily what healthy masculinity is. And so I try to avoid using the term toxic masculinity. And another reason is because a lot of behaviors that we associate with toxic masculinity, aggression, Mm. um, you know, sort of maybe overt sexuality, um, independence sometimes, um, like a lot of these attributes aren't in and of themselves toxic. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we think about when we think about masculinity can kind of go one of two ways. You know, there's a, there's a healthy way to exhibit strength. There's a healthy way to express your sexuality. There's a healthy way to be uh, a stoic. There, there's healthy ways to do all of this stuff. And then there's the sort of toxic version of it. And unfortunately, the toxic version of it has predominated the conversation and rightly incidentally i mean we wouldn't be talking about it if if it wasn't problematic yeah but unfortunately there's a there i think there's still a large segment of our population that wants to push boys into behaviors that can easily become toxic and that's what i'm looking to to address yeah and you know, you know a few minutes ago you you said uh, it's such a loaded thing and it and it it the whole topic is such a loaded thing and Adam and I we we hung out today at lunchtime and not in real life cuz you you don't in real life anymore it was like just like this we hung out at lunchtime <laughs> no one doesn't see one another we drop no, we drive to each other's uh, houses and drop things on each other's porches <laughs> <laughs> yeah we drove um, to each other's houses and zoomed from yeah. our cars yeah. wasn't it great wasn't it great <laughs> hanging out um Obviously, we've been preparing for the interview, but even still today, we're just like, man, it's such a expansive topic. And it's how do you even get into it? You know, and, and where do you where do you take it from there in a way that's constructive and feels like uh, something that we can share with an audience? You know, I mean, and you're not cheapening it, you know, by by limiting right. it to a, a, a 60 seconds of a, you know, 25 minute well, conversation. It's a, it's it, it, what you faced in preparing for this interview was exactly the problem that I faced in trying to sit down and write a book about it. Like, how mm. do you even wrap your hands around this topic, particularly because it's a topic that's so under discussed in the culture? We have spent the last half century talking about women's roles um, in the culture, and we've 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 seen enormous progress as a result of that. I'd like that same conversation to start happening around men and manhood. It's overdue. It needs to happen. And so, you know, this book was just my stab at trying to move that conversation forward a hair. The way I approached it was because, because I didn't know how to wrap my head around it either. I just started with attributes. I just started with what do I think of when I think of masculinity? 
what what are the, what are the things that I think of and 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 how do those things inform who how I think of myself, how I think of my son, and how do I go b- below the surface to 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 think about in a more, in a deeper way like what is strength, for example? Because strength is sort of the big one that I think of when I think of masculinity. Sure. I yeah. think men are strong. Yeah. And then, so, okay, I can, I can get with that, but what does that mean? What is strength? How do we think about strength in the culture? Because when we think about dudes and we think about strong dudes, the first thing that comes to my mind is buff dudes, you know, or mm-hmm. dudes like... Joe Rogan, who are like jacked up and, mm-hmm. and, and can lift things. And you're like, okay, yeah, that is absolutely a form of strength. Like that physical strength is absolutely a form of strength Yeah, and, um, of dubious value. You know, it, it, at one point in our evolution, many points in our evolution that had tremendous value, it has less practical value today. Nothing wrong with it. I want to be, I want to be physically strong. I've, I've been going to the gym a lot lately and I'm still weak as fuck. But I would like, I would like that. But then you, so you've got physical strength, you've got mental strength, which is also an attribute, a a classically masculine attribute, that idea of mental toughness, their spiritual strength. But then the, the, the further I looked into it and I'm, I'm only sort of, you know, speaking about strength right now, Mm -hmm. I started to realize that there's an, there's a kind of deeper strength in what we traditionally think of as male weakness, which is the strength of vulnerability, Mm. the strength of empathy, the strength of love. Because so much of what we think about when we think about manhood and we think about strength, the reason we want our men to be strong is because we want them to be able to defend Mm-hmm. Um, to protect the tribe, to protect the clan, to protect whatever. We raise boys to be soldiers, in essence. And so we arm them and we give them armor. But when you peel away that armor, when you start taking that off and unbuckling it, you realize there's, a, there's an even greater strength in standing before the world, unarmed, vulnerable, and saying, essentially, this is who I am. Do, do with me what you will. But like, I can't change who I am. This is who I am. That's a tremendous moment of vulnerability in any man's life. But it's also, I think, and even more so, a moment of tremendous strength. And a lot of this stuff, when you boil down sort of the essence of manhood and you really distill it, I think you get to that moment that moment of absolute vulnerability and standing there and being true to yourself. Incidentally, you get to that same place in the old, when you distill femininity too, because you get to that place when you distill humanity. And in this sort of gender dichotomy that we have, we tend to put, um, the two, the two sexes in opposite camps, or if not opposing, then contrasting camps, and what we lose, I think, is the vast amount of overlap that's there. And that overlap is just our basic humanity. 
Our chat with Michael Ian Black only gets better from here, so stay tuned for part two in our next episode. Dads, you can find Modern Dadhood wherever you listen to your podcasts or at moderndadhood.com. We would ask that you please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Yeah, would it kill you? Also, tell a friend, because word of mouth really, truly does go a long way. Yeah, would that kill you? Yeah, I don't think it would. One reason to subscribe right now is because our next episode will be part two of our chat with Michael Ian Black, and you're not going to want to miss it. Trust me. Well, hey, while you're on the, uh, while you're on the, uh, the outro train, we should mention um, that people can write in to hey at moderndadhood.com. They can do that. They can also stop by the website and pick up a dad hoodie or a t-shirt for themselves or a friend. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, just Google Modern Dadhood. All that stuff will come up. And we'd love to say thank you to Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Albee for the music you hear in Modern Dadhood. We would like to thank Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio. That's redvaultaudio.com for making us sound great. And thanks to Michael Ian Black for making our dreams come true. And thank you for listening.